This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. He'll hit Corey Watson with it. He'll sidestep one tackler and gets to the 20. Corey Watson inside the 10. Touchdown, Eskimo. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. New Year inside sports on 630 Chad. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for taking time to tune in tonight. It's a best of edition of the show. And man, we had fun a few weeks ago. We had Enforcers Week on the show connected with Brent Gogol, who had 511 penalty minutes in the WHL in the 77 78 season. You say that 511 like it was a bad thing. Well, <laughs> well yeah. it's a league record, so it must be good. <laughs> Yeah, 40 years. I can't believe next year is going to be 40 years. And I can I can tell you, I have a, my friends will tell you, and you know a lot of them, like the Glenn Cochran's, the Kurt Fraser's, they're all, they're all tight with me still. They'll tell you I have a really good memory. And I can still remember the day I got traded from uh, uh, the, the Pincher Creek Panthers were a tier two team. Yep. Just after Christmas of the Victoria Cougars, and I met with Patty Janelle at the airport in Victoria with Kurt Fraser. And the first thing Kurt Fraser sees is a crucifix around my neck that the Bassin family had given me. We were good friends. I think you've heard of Hank Bassin and Bobby Bassin, obviously. And he reaches up and he yanks off and says, Don't let Patty see that. Jeez, Gogo. Well, okay. Well, so here we go. Like, introduced to Patty Janelle, and he says, So what do you think of coming to the Victoria Cougars? And I said, I'm being honest with you. I can hardly wait to play in that zoo near Westminster because they had run the table on everyone with Harold Philipoff and Barry Beck and Clint Ball and those guys. And I'd listen to those games on the radio as a 16, 17-year-old. I, I mean, I bit off a little more than I can chew. That'll come later, obviously. But, you know, I look forward to being part of that, the Wild West. That's what it was. Well, yeah, I mean, it was. you mentioned New Westminster. That's the team that's, that's sort of, uh, I guess, most notorious or famous from that era, depending on how you look at it. Tell us about, like, Brent, were you always a guy who sort of had to fight and, and scrap and get penalty minutes to make his name? Or when did that role become a reality for you? You know, it, it's so funny because not a chance. I was I was quiet. I, I, it was because I got to be tall, and the league started embracing after the Flyers won their first cup. Everyone started looking at height and size, and Patty Janelle installed me as a, as a third-line center, and I played defense my entire life. I was so shocked that he wanted me to play center, but uh, he centered a line I called the BCP line, boom, crash, penalty. We never made it through a shift without someone getting penalized on my line. But, no, I wasn't like that. I started thinking about the violent part of hockey when the WHA was formed and I was in uh, my first year juvenile double A here in Calgary and I started fighting and I can tell you that I lost my first three or four and my dad was so sick of watching me pick my face up off the ice he hauled me out in the backyard it was 25 below in those days 
They said, okay, here's the deal. Spread your feet out, you moron, and, and get that shoulder up and get this up. And, and after that, I started winning. It wasn't before my dad saw a game and was sickened by the ineffectiveness of his oldest child that I started fighting. But no, I, I used to street fight, but I hadn't had any hockey fight till, uh, till juvenile double-A. Well, is, is your dad still with us? Oh, yeah, 85 years old, still kicking, goes to the odd <laughs> Rockets game. What's Little, his name? Uh, Russian farmer, tough as a night in jail. He is. He's got, he's got an amazing pain threshold, got a hip replacement at about 82, still golfs his own age. So, yeah, he's he's a pretty tough guy, and uh, I'm, I, don't, I don't talk back to him even to this day yet. Sorry, what's his first name? Albert. Bert Gogol, yeah, he's. He lives on Kelowna, and yeah, he's, he's he's a tough guy for sure. Glenn Cochran, like I said, will bring his name up a few times because he's one of my teammates and junior. Him and Glenn still go golfing together. And uh, honest to God, you name another 85-year-old. In fact, I think this year he's 87. Can still hit a ball 300 yards. He he's only five foot eight. He uncoils and and still uh, surprises all of us. So it's it's a lot of fun to be his kid. Uh, well, was he a hockey player or a, uh, like a boxer, or did he just wanted to teach you and teach you to be good at it? He wanted to teach me to be good at it because he was a Saskatchewan farm kid that would roll in and play Notre Dame, the Hounds. And in those days, Notre Dame was a school for miscreants. It wasn't a sports elite school. Uh, uh, families and schools sent their worst actors to that school. And, of course, Dad would, you know, from Kenora, Saskatchewan, would roll in and play them. And he said they were so dirty, Brent. They'd step on your hands and gouge your eyes out and Jeez. have pepper to throw in your face on the line. So he was a tough bastard. And don't believe that. He was. He, he was. He was. He was a, a, a burning end killer for his size, and actually had a Winnipeg Blue Bombers tryout as a, as a college football player. Played for the University of Brandon. Has so many accolades with them as, as a super football player. So I come by that end of it quite naturally. Like I think I'm pretty or was pretty tough in those days. My son Kirk Gogol is extremely tough for his size, six one. So and my oldest boy, who never really got into it. He's like 19 and 0 in his fight as just an amateur. So oh, wow. okay. I think we, we sort of have that in us. And uh, just, you know, the coaches in those days exploited that. Brent Gogol joining us on Inside Sports Enforcers Week here on Inside Sports. You, you had 511 penalty minutes in the dub, late 70s. We talked about that. 380 in the IHL, uh, 327 one year with the Baltimore Clippers in the EHL. Uh, you, okay, so you mentioned your dad sort of said you got to get better at this. Brent, did you ever actually like doing it? Uh, yes, I, honest to God. When I, and I know it sounds, it, people won't understand it. It sounds kind of crazy, I know, but if I could get a guy to look down, and I've had these conversations with, like, uh, Archie Henderson and, and Dave Semenko, if you got a guy to look down, you had him. I mean, and, and I would challenge anyone. I would go after the biggest player, one of my coaches in uh, in both uh, Milwaukee and in, in the East Coast, like Jeannie Baracco, really good friends with, uh, Gene, with uh, Lou Nanny. He used to say Brent was like the rooster in the barnyard. You'd go at any other roosters that dare step foot in it. And that's what we would do. I would go and see and test myself. And one of my traits was if you beat me, I'd come at you till I won or you got sick of, of, of actually fighting with me. So at the end of the year when I was, for instance, International League, I was I I had won and defeated everybody that everyone that that, that wanted to fight and it was the same for the East Coast League and I, I kept getting passed over for promotion so that actually led to uh, in my opinion a premature retirement but I was also a valedictorian in my high school and uh, carried a 3.24 in university so I I, I just I always caught you know called myself a fairly intelligent fighter you, you picked your spots when your team was down and you, you see teams now don't really do that as much anymore because of the instigation rule but we didn't allow uh 
how do you call it? You didn't. I didn't allow flights to be unpunished, and uh, yeah, I, I did enjoy it. I really did enjoy it. I mean, and uh, I, I enjoyed. I could take a punch. Let's put it that way. Great big Russian melon, I guess, and I could take a punch. So fighting, it wasn't that difficult for me. You know, I, I knew you were going to have stories because when I emailed you, you, you were like, you replied right away. So because some guys are like, ah, I don't want to talk about that, but uh, I knew you. I knew you'd be all in. So this is great. Uh, <laughs> you got a story about Matt Cassian. You said. Yeah, it's like I coached him my uh, first year mid AAA, and Cam Ward was our goaltender. He's so far, I think Cam's the only NHL I've ever coached, and Matt Casting was the second. And and we were playing a midget AAA tournament in Prince Albert, and I liked to take my team because, you know, I mean, um, Short Park has a reputation as, as having a lot of spoiled rich kids, and I used to take them to the Prince Albert tournament to play all the Saskatchewan teams, the farm kids, and I'd say, okay, boys, here's where you know, the rubber hits the road. And after, I think it was our third game in the tournament, this guy had been sent down to his midget triple A team from the Western Hockey League. And he kept stating that fact to my entire bench. I, I fought in the dub. I kill all you pansies from Sherwood Park. And about 10 minutes in the second turn, I feel this tap my shoulder. I turn around, it's Matt Caston. His mother was a single librarian from Sherwood Park, the most gentle, kind, quiet lady in the world who entrusted me with, with her son. And he said, Mr. Gogol, you got to let me do something about this. I'm like, Matt, are you serious? And Matt had played midget seven the year before, and I'd taken a lot of heat for putting him on my team. But I have a right as a coach to have a project. I just saw something in Matt. My kids played bigger with Matt Catching on my team. And I like his enthusiasm, big smile, and he had a hell of a wrist shot. He couldn't slap the puck to save it if you said, son, we're going to take your leg off if you can't compete a slap shot. He'd have been a one-legged player. But he tried hard, and he, he went out on the ice, at the expense of a two-game suspension, and he, he absolutely mopped up the ace with, like, cut him over both eyes, broke his nose, blood was all over the place. Took five minutes to scrape it all. And in the, in the hallway, at the end of the period, waiting for me were the Saskatoon Blade Scouts, Vancouver Giants. I mean, there was, like, five Western Hockey League teams all wanting into my dressing room to sign him. And it's like, whoa, whoa, fellas. His mom's going to lose it when she finds out I let him fight. She's a librarian, and... They, they stepped back a bit to Vancouver, ended up signing him, and uh, the rest is history. Matt did all the rest of his own. Worked on his skating, worked on his toughness. Big, strong kid, great kid, and I like telling that story. Great stories. More with Brent Gogo when we get back. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. So Brent Gogol, enforcer in the WHL in the late 1970s, and after his playing career, he went on to be a midget AAA coach in the Edmonton area. You mentioned some of your uh, coaching, and I actually got a message from uh, somebody I've known for quite a while because he's uh, from Lloyd, where I used to, where my broadcasting career started. He said, can you ask Brent about when he was coaching a midget AAA game in Sherwood Park and wanted to fight the ref in a may involve you shedding some clothing. Now, this person also says, Brent was a good coach, got me to the next level, helped people accountable. But but I, I trust this guy that he's teeing me up to tee you up for a pretty good story. What what happened here? He's, he's, he's half afraid. It would, the only time I ever took my jacket off was uh, Stan Symes with the St. Albert uh, Junior Saints. And once again, the year that Matt Catchin played, and uh, we were we were a hell of a team. And they, 
you know, uh, went to the semifinals in the MAC that year and everything. And we're winning in the first round against St. Albert. It might have even been the second round to get, you know, out of the North Division. And somebody ran over uh, Cam Ward right at our bench at a timeout. Just ran him right over, and I, I'm not lying to you. I snapped. My tie came off. My jacket came off. And I have a little manager, about five foot ten. Van Rink was his name. And he's begging me not to cross the barrier between the two dress rooms begging me says Brent you know I, I think a lot of you but just don't do it don't go across there and I'm absolutely losing it and it wasn't the ref the ref story he's talking about is we had a ref that hated us that, that came from Leduc and Leduc was always our biggest enemy and uh, I walked off the ice right in front of him one time and hammered the glass with my left hand breaking it right about an inch from his head didn't hit him but came close enough and he actually quit hockey after that because I waited for him in the parking lot with this throbbing hand with two knuckles that had disappeared I said, I don't know what you're doing, but, you know, we don't play with these kids for four days a week, take them to dry line training everything, to have you ruin games because you don't like me. I'll sit in the stands if you want, but I can't take any more of your shitty referee. He said, don't worry about it. I quit. You just missed me with that left hook. I said, okay, good. And I, So there's there's two stories in one about coaching. I wasn't the most calmest guy in the bench. I won't lie to you. Okay, well, that's incredible. Thanks for your honesty about that. Uh, Brent, we're going to have to have you on again because I know people are loving this, but I do want to, uh, you, you know, you mentioned that was 40 years ago. You set the, almost 40 years ago, you set the yeah. penalty minutes record. Clearly your life didn't end then, and I actually got a hold of you through a company called DR Directional. So tell us yeah. uh, where life uh, took you away from the rink, and it sounds like you've been... Uh, you've been pretty successful and living a pretty good life well you know that i can honestly say that that was the hardest thing i ever did was leaving the minnesota north stars organization i just didn't feel that they were being fair i fought everyone that you could possibly fight excelled at it you know had smaller teams in front of me never had any help in the minnesota chain never i mean you probably remember the game where john went challenged the whole minnesota north stars bench and there were guys like Donnie Jackson, myself, uh, Ronnie Freest, uh, Tim Spencer in the Minnesota North Stars chain, and we had to watch that, and it, it sickened me. And I said, if you're not going to promote me so that you can at least place a phone call from Oklahoma City or Nashville so I can go up and play against the Bruins, I went out. And Lunani says, well, then go ahead, Brent, go to university. We don't care. You'll regret it. And I've always regretted it, but don't forget in those days, $75,000, $80,000 was all I could expect to make. Um, Bobby Smith was only making 200 grand as their number one player. So nowadays, of course, it'd be worth sticking around. At that point, I said it wasn't. I ended up going back to university, joining a drilling company, going to night school. Been fortunate enough to, to be fairly good at uh, the sales and marketing end of it. I've started and sold two or three companies. So I can't complain. It was the right decision. Was it the most fun? No. To walk away from hockey, any people listen, listening out there, if you can tell your kids to do the workouts and take the shots and get up early and do the sit-ups and push-ups, push them because... My oldest boy always says, Dad, why didn't you push me harder to be like you? Well, you can only go so far as a parent. And, and as an ex-player, you can only push yourself to the point where you can see there's no point in trying to go anymore. And I hit that stage earlier than I wanted to. I always promised myself I'd give myself five years. But this DNR directional has been a good gig in Calgary. The, obviously, the certain government levels now are, are made it difficult to, to do well in Calgary or in all of Alberta. That, that's a subject we won't get into, but I've, I've done okay. And uh, I have no regrets. Who's the best fighter you ever went against or a guy that made you, you know, challenge you the most? Barry Beck. Oh, really? Okay. Yep. It was, uh, that, that's one of my, that's one of the stories I wrote down to make sure to tell you is uh, he had, you're going to like this, he had had contracted, I think that's the right word, pneumonia. Yeah. He lost 18 pounds. 
And uh, right from my very first game in the league, when I, I dropped Stan Smeal with one punch, and he, and he skated up to me and says, oh, so you're the league's new tough guy. And I said, how's the manager playing on the same team the rest of us are? I mean, he looked like he was 40 years old when he was 20 years old. The oldest player, looking player I ever played against. It took me three months to screw up the, the courage to fight him. I'll never forget the day before the game. He'd mentioned the newspaper. He was back. He was sick of Brent Gogo running. His team is going to kill me. And Glenn Cochran's my roommate laying across from me in the darkness going, Golds, just think what you're going to look like tomorrow. Broken nose, two black guys. You're going to look so much different. And I'm like, shut up, Glenn. I'm having a tough time going to sleep as it is. So the game started. I skate towards him, look at him. I said, I hear your look. And that's all I got out. I didn't even get the word looking for me. He was as quick as a cat, beat me right down to his laces. I'd never seen Bauer skate that up close because I was a CCM guy. I thought, hey, look, he's got Bauer skate. But the best part of the story is he didn't hurt me one bit. Linesman pulls me up. I look at Beck and I start laughing. And I said, you're the league's toughest guy. I don't have a mark on me. And he growled like, like a bear. Ooh, maybe he pushed him a little too far there. <laughs> We get to the penalty box, and he tells me, don't take your gloves out, don't take your sticks out, I'm going to kill you, Rook. And uh, Archie Henderson on our team skated over. As soon as my penalty was over, started a bench-clearing ball like you've never seen before. That's the topic we should have. Our next conversation is about the morphing of the game away from brawls and stuff because I had five fights that brawl. Well, that's... Cochran had four. It, it, those days are gone, and that's not a bad thing. Well, that's what I want to ask you. And, and Brent, we are, we're, we're, we'll stay in touch so we can do this again, but I'm into the final exactly. couple minutes here for this time slot. But um, w- when you look at the modern game, I mean, sometimes... Now, the Oilers actually do fight more than they used to over the yeah. last couple of years, but when you look at the modern game, you could sometimes watch a couple weeks' worth of games and not, not see a fight. Uh, like, is it better or do you miss sometimes just being the, the it was more likely you could just grab a guy and and tune him in if you wanted to well there's there's some nhl executives that i'm very good friends with and they definitely despise and the word is not being too gentle they despise the direction this game is taken they go to they have their own teams have six hits in a game and no i really miss the fact that the accountability is gone batman is the number one uh, culprit without with his two, five, and ten in a game with his instigator. There's, you know, they, they call players rats, that McKinney Lindsman type of guys. Those guys can get away with murder now. There's no accountability. I, my wife is the only reason I go to hockey games. I can hardly stand to go watch. There's so little physicality to it. And, you know, the Calgary Flames right here, we have Michael Ferland that played in Brandon. Him, him and my son used to have wars. I'm lucky if I see him get any snow in his uniform at all now. And I, I, I resent that. I think Batman is part and parcel of putting that in play and i don't talk about the knuckle dragging guys like i've heard coaches talk about but good solid tough hockey whether it was a collision and you no know, tag with you tag with you and off come the gloves i miss that i miss the, the good the good hits that and the reason i see so many skilled players now is they're not afraid to skate around the ice because no one's hitting them if you take the body to them and, and matt captain will attest to this they get a little nervous and they're not making those fancy plays between their skates and yes i, I do miss it who do you th- who's who's a skilled player that you thought was or is really tough that you respect? Uh, in the game now? Yeah, or, or maybe a pass guy. Can be anybody. I go at Chris Fraser. I named my second son after him. He was a guy that could do it all. Uh, who was another? Well, Matt, uh, obviously Clark Gillies. I, I dreamt oh, nice. about yep. playing against the Islanders. He was he was all of it. Uh, L.C. Court, I saw him do an interview the other day, and, and he, he still looks like, you know, when I played in Rochester, his name's on the wall for bench pressing 400 pounds as a hockey player. Like, you, you Don Cherry started this bench press competition. Anyone that played for the Americans had to put their bench press up there. I didn't even get to 300. He's doing 400, and he did it more than once. 
So those those are guys that that could play and could absolutely mop the ice with you if you bothered them. Paul Holmgren uh, is another one that Kirk Frazier used to say he was actually afraid of how tough Paul Holmgren was. So wow. those guys are never going to be called upon as, as as rude players and bad for the game, but they kept other teams honest and. I believe that's a necessary thing, and I, I don't like the way hockey is going. I won't lie to you. Incredible interview. We'll have to have Brent on again. Best of Inside Sports on 630 Ched will continue with Tony Twist and Great Cup champion Ricky Ray. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Ched. So Tony Twist, former St. Louis Blue, one of the great personalities in the NHL, was able to connect with him when we had Enforcers Week here on Inside Sports. And we started off by uh, talking whose job is it to get the players motivated for games? You don't have to like your coach, don't have to like your team, but if you get paid to do the job, you damn well better do it. So yeah, well, let me ask you, you probably heard the tail end. Is it is it up to a coach to motivate his players or do they got to be motivated themselves? Hold on, are you kidding me? Just because you're 22 or 21 or 25 doesn't mean you're a kid. You get paid a great deal of money to be motivated. Your coach, his job is to put you in the best position to succeed. That means if you're a grinder, be a grinder. Your score, be a, a goal scorer, defenseman, be one of those guys. But you're not there to be motivated. Your motivation should come from inside, not from the coach. And who taught you that, Tony? I don't. Nobody taught me that. I don't think I was being taught that. I think I just. I don't know. I was brought up that way. I don't. I mean, that's not something you teach. If you have to be taught that, good lord, you don't belong in the National Hockey League. Well, I'm glad you said that. I, I appreciate that, uh, Tony. I get. You know, we're doing Enforcers Week on the show, and I threw out this idea to my uh, my buddy Rob Brown uh, a couple weeks ago, and he said try to get Tony Twist on the show. Now, I don't know if you ever fought Rob Brown. What's Brownie doing? He's doing great. He's uh, 12 years. He's been on our broadcast here on 6:30. Chad, how about that? I know it. I do know it. I haven't talked to him for ages. So good to hear. What was he like to play against? He was talented. I mean, he was a talented hockey player. Let's not kid ourselves. He was. Uh, he was one of those guys that uh, all he had to do was strap the skates on. His hands were there. He had a toolbox. Had plenty of tools. And when he. When he went to work, he went to work. It was one of those, one of the players that uh, that are few and far between. Practice wasn't something you needed to do; just to be out there doing the game. Tony, you would have played. Sorry. Go ahead. Just a talented guy. You know, equate him to you know guys that uh, that uh, the skill set's there. You know, for a guy like me, the skill set was never there, and had to work on it every day. Uh, Robert didn't have to. Tony, you played for the Saskatoon Blades, uh, 86 through 88. That's when you would have played against Rob. Uh, I want to talk about other ports of your career, too. But I've been asking guys this question. When did you sort of uh, when did you sort of become an enforcer? When did you realize that being tough and getting in the odd scrap was maybe uh, a ticket to better things for you? Well, it wasn't the odd scrap. It came... Uh uh, it, it, it came well, by accident, really, at the end of the day, because prior to me playing junior hockey in the uh, Peace Caribou Junior Hockey League, which is the equivalent of the Charlestown Chiefs, um, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I was uh, always an assistant, a captain, uh, a goal scorer on the back end, uh, a power play guy, and come junior hockey at the age of 16, playing for the first Kings, uh, 
things change. Uh, you know, playing in, a, in a, the Peace Caribou Junior Hockey League, either, you know, you uh, learn how to fight or you get run over. I mean, there was games that, you know, we showed up and there was 26 guys on the other team in the warm-up. And you're looking at them going, God damn, that guy's got a full beard. He does not look 20. They only allowed two overages. They got about eight guys that looked like they're 30. Yeah, they brought him in from the from the, the lumber towns to, to, to strap on the skates for warm-up. Because when you saw the mitts were being dropped before the game started, warm-up, you still dropping the mitts. So it was, uh, you know, when I was in Prince George, it was, it was a fight to, or, or not, or, or not be around, and I enjoyed it. God, I was, uh, it wasn't something I had experience with on the ice, but uh, I'll tell you, when it, first started, when it started there, I loved it, and it just elevated from there. Well, and, and I mean, younger people might be kind of shocked to hear this, but th- there used to be quite a few fights in the warm-up, didn't there, Tony, before the game even started? Are you kidding me? That was uh, not so much in the Western Hockey League, but the Peace Caribou Junior Hockey League. I mean, when you Peace Caribou, just think about that name for a second. We're traveling all over, you know, the British Columbia in the in the mid and the upper, the northern area where, you know, there's not a whole bunch going on, which means that uh, when you go to Williams Lake and you're reservation, and everybody gets excited to go to the game and they show up a little bit early and they've had a few cocktails and they're not showing up because they're wanting to watch warm-up. They want to see the brawl before it. I mean, there was, there's plenty of those, unfortunately, um, in, that, in that league. Not to say I didn't enjoy it, but it was uh, scary at some points. Tony Twist joining us on Inside Sports Enforcers Week on the show. Tony, when did you really think you had a shot at the NHL? <laughs> You're going to laugh. Uh, but I never thought about it. Never. When I got drafted, my dad came into my bedroom. We were just, uh, it was, I was in Kamloops, and I think we were uh, myself, and I think Brownie might have been with us, and post, really post Jack, and. Uh, Jeez, a whole, there was a, a bunch of the the old Blazers, and we were out at a, it was a one of the casino boats or a, one of those boats that went up and down the river, and we were, it was a drinking cruise, I guess. We're out late that night, and he came, Dad came in and said, he got drafted. I got drafted. That draft was way back when. I'm not going to war. Because no, got drafted by the St. Louis Blues. Really? Okay. Uh, the Lion. I was a tour, and I, you know, it was 10 o'clock in the morning. I never sat there. I didn't get up till 12. Never put any thought to it. Yeah, I got drafted. Never even, I never even thought about it. Had an opportunity to to go play in uh, scholarship opportunities, and that was where I was going. Never thought about the Ashwaukee. That's amazing. Uh, what's your? Yeah, it is. You know, <laughs> granted, where now I'm in, in St. Louis and, and was coaching, you know, kids. My my son's age when he was, you know, eight, nine, ten, all the way up to fifteen. You know, he's twenty five now, and every parent was going, "Do you think he has a chance? Do you think he has a chance? Do you have a chance? Yeah, he's gonna play tomorrow. 
This might be a tough one. Do you have a most memorable NHL fight or maybe a most memorable appoint, opponent? Um, well, I don't know. If, if memorable opponent. Link Gates and I, uh, we hooked, he's playing for Spokane, and I was playing in uh, Saskatoon, and we had a couple great punch-in-the-head contests. It was awesome. Darren Kimball and I had, uh, I don't know how many fights we had in junior, but it was it was a lineup. Every time we he came to my city, I went to his. Kimby and I always seemed to have a punch in the head contest. It was fun. It was really was uh, memorable. Those were memorable only because when you got done doing that, you really knew you were in a brawl. And it was and it was a and it was a good hearted. Never was there any ill feeling, ill will at that point in the game. There really wasn't any ill will in my game to, per se. But those were memorable moments only because you're younger and. You know, it was a, it was fun. It was back when wasn't a wasn't a job as much as it was entertainment. Tony, one more for you here, and I really appreciate your time. When you look at the game now, there there's still fighting. There's it seems to be decreasing every year or maybe every generation. How do you feel about that? Well, there's two there's two reasons, and, and, and to be very honest, number one reason is the guys who. We're doing the job. You know, you're paid to do a job. It doesn't mean that you're going to be having a written invitation to go do it. When the league started preaching, you know, you had the instigator rule. You had, you know, you got to play both. You don't want to be a liability to the, uh, for the team. You got to be a strong fourth line. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Now, let me check my resume. No, no, that's not what I was paid to do. Number two, you can't switch gears here because I, I don't have that skill set. I have another skill set. That's to keep everybody on my bench accountable and everybody on the other bench more accountable, which was the job. Whether I play or not play, cardboard cutout is what Al McGinnis said uh, on many occasions. I'd rather have a cardboard cutout of number 18 on the bench than a, t- a 20th player. And why? Because I gave Al McGinnis and everybody else the team an opportunity to play 60 minutes, not get ran over, and not get uh, cheap shotted, or, or have them not the opportunity to succeed. So with that said, number one, the guys forgot how to do the job. Just because somebody runs over your best player doesn't mean you go after that guy. Hold on. Make the other team accountable. You go after their best player. Run the goaltender over. Smile out of somebody, but don't go after that guy first because that's not the message being sent. So the guy forgot how to do the job. Number two, unfortunately, that job is being squeezed out by better hockey. The European game of hockey is is, is, is really playing a huge part in, in, in what's happening. I mean, a guy like myself, skill set and speed that I have would never succeed in the league at this point. So, yeah, I mean, there's a couple things. The guys that are doing the job can still have that job if they exercise and do it properly. Don't forget how and why you're there. I think that's what's happened. That's Tony Twist, the best of inside sports on 630 Chad continues with Ricky Ray.
Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. One of the most memorable games of 2017, the Grey Cup. You know what happened. Calgary driving to put it away. They fumble. Toronto ties it and then wins it with a late field goal and subsequent interception. Ricky Ray, former Eskimos quarterback, now has added a couple of Grey Cups as a Toronto Argo. Talk to him just three days after the Grey Cup victory. I'm doing great. It's been a great, great few days for me and, uh, still trying to enjoy it as much as I can well good for you and Ricky I, I gotta say you made a lot of Eskimos fans happy because uh, a lot of people in this part of the country still pull for you and it never hurts when you beat Calgary either as you know right <laughs> <laughs> exactly true uh, you know it's kind of a win-win for for some Edmonton fans uh, yeah I mean I just got a lot of support um, you know even from you know just being around Grey Cup weeks even some of the guys wearing you know, the, the, the Eskimo colors still coming up to me and, and wishing me good luck in the game. So it definitely means a lot. Ricky, I've I, I got to ask you a few details about the game because it was kind of a, a crazy afternoon. First of all, and I know you've played in all kinds of weather, but when it actually, like, when you realize, like, okay, there, it, we're going to be dealing with snow here, did that, did that change your preparation or your mindset at all going out onto the field? No, I really didn't. You know, I, I, I try and wait till you know, I get out there and pregame and throw it around and see kind of how it's, how it's affecting you. And um, I felt like I was, you know, the grip was good on the ball and, um, you know, there wasn't really any wind and uh, the ball was traveling pretty good. So um, I really didn't have any issues with, with throwing the football. It was more um, just how the field was going to change throughout the game. And, uh, you know, I really didn't have any issues with that either. So, um, the hardest thing I found was just just kind of in that first first quarter and first half, just the awareness, um, you know, just being being able to track all the guys, just with the snow coming down and the lighting of the game. It just took took a little bit to uh, just get my awareness, uh, you know, for the game. You know, I, I got to ask you about a couple things at the end of the game because there are some plays there that I think. 50, 100 years from now, we're still going to be played <laughs> as great moments in, in Grey yeah. Cup history. So you're on the sideline. Calgary's marching down the field. They're in a position to go up by, by two scores. And then Jordan fumbles, and Vaughn runs it all the way back for the touchdown. I mean, in that moment, what are you, what are you, ex- what are you experiencing when you see that fumble run all the way back? Yeah, I mean, just kind of, you know, watching them, you know, driving down the field and, and getting down there close, um, you know, I was just, just thinking, you know, hopefully we can hold them to a field goal or, you know, maybe even, you know, they'll miss the field goal or something. Um, I knew it was going to be tough, you know, with, with Calgary, you know, being down two scores. Um, and then the play happened. I mean, just uh, kind of watching it unfold, you know, I kind of <laughs> didn't want to start celebrating until – you know, he made it all the way to the end zone, and there were no flags, and just just wanted to to make sure, you know, that the play went through. And then once it did, uh, just erupted. I mean, it gave our sideline so much life, and um, you know, obviously changed the game, and you know, was was a play that that changed our lives forever. 
And then obviously you still have to get the two-point convert and, and you still have to take another drive down to, to score points and you guys got the field goal to, to go ahead. I, I, I don't want to uh, undermine what you and the offense did, but I'm asking you more questions about the defense. <laughs> yes, but uh, when then then they have another chance to possibly tie it and you guys making the interception to win it. But I mean, is your mindset at that point preparing for uh, for overtime more than any, anything else when they're on their final drive? Yeah, I mean, basically, um, you know, when we when we had our final drive and we got in the field goal range and then we, we kicked the field goal, I was like, man, you know, uh, you know, Bo's a great quarterback and he's got got some time there, you know, to make some things happen. And uh, but you know, I mean, I obviously believed in our defense that we could we could make a play and um, you know, just yeah, I mean, but you always got to prepare for you know what the worst possible scenario is and. Um, you know, just trying to get ready for, you know, it could be an overtime game and just kind of getting your mind right for that situation and then see see that ball go up in the air and then and, and Matt Black running over there and, and making the interception. I mean, just uh, what an unbelievable feeling to know that, you know, you just won fifth great cup. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Ricky Ray joining us on Inside Sports. Ricky, at one point this season, you guys were 4-7 and seven and – you know, forget about winning a championship. But at that point, you're fighting to make the playoffs. So you wind up nine and nine. So you have a pretty good run to end the year, and then obviously you win your two postseason games. But I mean, at four and seven, um, you know, talk to me a little bit about the the belief in the locker room, where you guys were at, maybe who or what kept kept it focused and allowed you to have a successful finish. Yeah, I mean, basically. Um you know, we were we were. It felt like all year long we were kind of taking a step forward and then two steps back, and we just really weren't getting the results that we wanted. And um, you know, realistically, we just we just needed to make more improvement. I mean, we were playing good football, but we, we weren't playing good enough. And uh, you know, the coaches showed us the, the way. You know, they um, you know kept coaching us, kept uh, getting us to improve, and finally things started to pay off for us late in the season. And uh, you know that that gets contagious once you kind of find you know how to find out how to win football games. Um, you know, it just just becomes contagious, and we're able to to win a lot of close ones coming down the stretch and put ourselves in position, you know, to win the East. And then um, you know, going in all the way across the country, you know, week 18, playing in BC, you know, late at night, and uh, for us to be able to go out there and get a huge win and and uh, you know get that first round bye was was big for us. And then uh, we you know what happened in the playoffs, just uh, winning those close games. You know, just we just developed that, you know, Coach talks about develop that backbone, uh, you know, to where you can get into the fourth quarter and, you know, you have the confidence that you can go out there and win the football game, and that's what carried us through the playoffs. Well, I'm glad you mentioned your coach because Mark Dressman has been an incredibly successful CFL head coach. Uh, I, I mean, after Montreal, he went to the NFL for a few years and look, I I don't know him. I, I think I've interviewed him once or twice. He always comes across as just very controlled and and measured. And he kind of I've always thought carries himself with a degree of class or almost dignity. I mean, I, I don't I don't know how this sounds. You you listening to it about a guy you you deal with on a daily basis? But describe Mark's effect on you and the team. Yeah, I mean it's been unbelievable this year. Um, just to be able to to learn from from Coach Tressman and uh, you know be be on this journey with him. I mean he's um, he just does a great job of, of just keeping us focused every week and then and, and 
you know, focused on what really matters, you know, the team and trying to improve and, uh, you know, always thinking about everything. I mean, nothing, nothing is unthought of. I mean, and as a player, it's, it's so fun to play in, in that situation because you feel like everything is planned out, everything's under control and you just got to go out there as a player and play. And, um, it's been, been so much fun playing for him this year. And, uh, just, just with his philosophy and all the things that he does for you and, you know, and it's more about than just being a football player. I mean, he, you know, he makes it um, relatable to, you know, how you are as a person, you know, outside of football as well and, and being a good teammate, being a, you know, a good family member, a good, good husband or, you know, and all those sorts of things. So I think guys had a lot of fun playing for him this year. Ricky Ray joining us on Inside Sports, Toronto Argos quarterback, four-time Great Cup champion. I got to ask you this, Ricky. Are you in touch with anybody from the Fresno Frenzy? <laughs> uh, uh, really the last guy that i am is is uh rick warman the, the coach there and uh yeah i mean that's it's been a long journey from from that team and uh you know finding myself in, in canada and then you know 15 years later to to be where i'm at i mean it's it's meant so much to me in my life you know obviously it's been my life um, you know, for the last 15 years. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm so grateful for, for the Canadian Football League. That's Ricky Ray, very popular figure here in Edmonton, even though he's gone on to play in Toronto. The best of inside sports continues with a couple of authors and BC Lions general manager Ed Hervey. All coming up. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.